Welcome to the Writing Block Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today's episode is a unique one. I'm Carrie Dubiel, and I'm here with Christopher Lee, and we are going to be talking with guest author Patrick Edwards about writing the narrative role-playing game guide. I am very interested in this topic. I have no idea what it's like to write an RPG game guide, so let's talk about that. I didn't either nine months ago. (laughs) So Patrick, why don't you tell us a little bit about this project and how it got started? Give us a little bit of background. Yeah, because it is a little bit of a walk. So I'm going to try and do this as uh, efficiently as I can. All right. So there is a band. I know, interesting place to start from. There is a band called Dia Morte. They're kind of an orchestral heavy metal band very gothic um they do a stage show and they have an album out called the red opera okay the sort of lead singer writer head creative person of that band is friends with a writer i know don't know if either of you two know him i think uh mr michael hayes does rick hines is his name i I know rick yeah rick's awesome yep so rick and drake who is the lead persona of this band uh our, our buddies and they were it was kind of joking around one night on how their their album and their show they should make a a, a campaign a D campaign or a tabletop role-playing campaign that uh kind of syncs up with it because it's a whole story right it's an actual stage play actual opera and and then they were talking about it and they really wanted to do it and it's a very different animal than like writing a novel so rick knows i am pretty uh deep into D&D in recent years. So we were chit-chatting on the phone. He's like, hey, I got this possible project. Do you want to come in on this with me? And I said, yeah. And it was kind of something we were just messing around with. And then it kind of grew a life of its own. And it became this very big project that he and I co-wrote with a a little help too from um, uh, Joe Asfahani. So we did it and we have this it's over 80,000 words, maybe close to a hundred. Uh, there's going to be this very large, long campaign book for fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. So it was a Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, it is Dungeons and Dragons. We have the open, we got the, the OGL, the open gaming license. That was kind of okay. our framework. You could adapt it to other game systems. Um, most of the book, 90% of it is original content as far as, monsters and items and things like that we we tried to create as much of our own stuff as possible as opposed to just lifting um because with the coast are very very uh lenient and forgiving and they love seeing people they just have a few small things it's actually a pretty when you when you consider how many possibilities there are it's actually a very short list of uh items monsters things places that are closely held uh ip for them but all that being said, we wanted to make it as much of our own as possible. So, and that was a, we kind of divvied up tasks. And honestly, my Rick did the majority of, I'll say the narrative, the story side of it. Mm-hmm. I had, in my opinion, the, the funner job. I got to basically build the world, the city where the campaign takes place, fill it with uh, NPCs and 
make up, think of uh, new monsters for the players to fight and puzzles and traps and the dungeons, Ooh. the dungeons part of Dungeons and Dragons and magical items. And I basically said, I got to build the sandbox and create all the toys. That would be the fun part. That's the part that I'd be looking at and be like, just licking my chops. <laughs> I just get to endlessly create all of these things that go into the world. Woohoo! No, it, it ended up, it was a lot of work, but also a lot of fun because it's, of course, it's fun and very freeing creativity. Long day, creatively, excuse me. But it's one of those things where I, I love challenges. I thrive in challenges, uh, especially creatively, where you have limitations, but you can use those limitations to force higher levels of creativity. Do you get what I'm saying? Where, mm -hmm. like, um, so doing something like this was very fun and challenging in an exciting way because there are these restrictions you have to adhere to for starters. You've got the fact this is based off an album and the album's 10 tracks, 10 songs, right? So we are like, all right, well, we're going to make a campaign that's 10 chapters and the name of each chapter is going to be the name of that song. And it has mm. to make sense narratively and in the world. And there has to actually be an arc for the players to go through. Ah. Um, so that's one area it has to fit, right? It has to fit the, the structure and the vibe of the album. It's, based on in the show so that's another one and then the fact that it's a game right that other people are going to be playing everyone's going to put their own spin on that part is a huge challenge because it has to actually work right because i can think of i know <laughs> yeah you said you're, you're you know uh licking your chops you can probably think of all this crazy stuff but it actually has to work right you have to leave it open-ended too to a certain extent Correct. You have to, and and that's a huge, and that's part of it too. Was because um, there's basically two. There's two needs you have to meet when you're doing this. There's the need of the players, and then there's the need of the the game master, the D dungeon master, the DM. I was gonna say when you're going in all these different directions based on what your roles are and such. Mm -hmm. How do you write that in a game guide? How do you account for all those different possibilities? Well, short answer is you, you can't. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I, I, D, D is such a wonderful game. And one of the things that makes it wonderful is you could present the same scenario to a hundred different, you know, parties of three to six players, and you're going to get a hundred completely different solutions to the problem or right. reactions. So when it comes to that side of things, we, we tried really hard to, have a balance between what's you know often called railroading in the game okay. and and also giving some freedom so it was just kind of picking and choosing our battles right there are moments where we kind of set it up was like no this is what's happening and this is what's gonna do and, and and this is why you want this to happen dm you know in parentheses just between us and then there's times where we literally have okay you're gonna be here the idea is to get here but we're going to let you and the players have a little free freedom to kind of, well, the players obviously have freedom. They can theoretically do or, or attempt to do whatever they want, but you as the DM, we've got some certain segments where it's, this is on you. We'll give you, here's some pieces, put them together. How do you see fit? Here, I have a good example. I'm trying to word this so I don't spoil anything, but there's like a, a quote unquote dungeon. It's not an actual dungeon, but it's like a, a fortress temple thing that they're exploring as you do in these games. And, there's a section where we basically, I basically just created like 10 different rooms or like hallways or segments of the dungeon. 
but I did not order them or arrange them. And each of them has a different effect or challenge or something the players to get by. And that's on the DM. It's like, arrange this how you want, how you think it best, or randomize it. Roll a D10, see which one they come across first. So uh, it, you, you try to have that, that healthy balance. That's got to be difficult just on a creative uh, you know, level <clears throat> where you, you see where you would want to take the story and then you have to almost cut it off halfway. I mean, you can be creative and, and kind of steer it how you want to. You know, obviously the story is going to go a certain way and you're kind of creating it that way. It's almost the same way you would create a video game. There's different choices that might be available. Different events might happen, but they're eventually ending up in approximately the same spot. So that's that's got to be an awesome challenge, I would think. I really enjoyed it. It was definitely a challenge and there were definitely moments where it felt like work. <laughs> and <laughs> well, I'm sure <laughs> but, man, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think Rick and I are very fortunate. Uh, it's very serendipitous. We seem to have hit on something. We work really well together. We're very complimentary to each other of our strengths. And uh, he is uniquely suited because he is a font of tabletop RPG and D and D knowledge. <laughs> He, I mean, he writes about it. He's been writing about it for a couple of years now. Articles he was doing for Geek and Sundry, and now he's going to mm-hmm. do some articles for Nerdist. So he he is quite an authority on the subject matter. So he 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 would reel me in. I'd have these grandiose ideas sometimes, and he'd be like, "Okay, I I like the general direction, but what happens when a player does X Y Z?" And then I'll be like, "Ah, shit." <laughs> yeah, I imagine that that's challenge. Are there like charts involved? Like how much storyboarding had to happen? Um, storyboarding a little bit. It was kind of, we just, we had these, a lot of shared Google docs with outlines and things. And then we'd um, divvy up, you know, work projects and like tasks and then kind of reconvene and have calls. And okay. so, so the process is very interesting because in the beginning it was basically just Rick and myself. And then Joe was helping here and there. He's very busy where he can. But it was mainly just us going back and forth and writing until we had a complete draft. And then as far as like the numbers go, right? Because you create these new, I, I talked about right off the top, I like how so much of this was original. Uh, we still have, we're still doing play testing right now as, as we're recording this because uh, I put a lot of work into the, the numbers, right? So hopefully they're balanced and they make sense. But that's something, honestly, that's really difficult to tell until you actually play it out and try it because... Um, sometimes you don't know because what you don't want, right, is accidentally you, you put a monster in there that kills every player <laughs> on its first <laughs> turn or, or vice versa, right? Where it's just not even a challenge for the players. And that's not fun either if you're just walking all over everything. I just keep thinking of this video that I just watched of some guy using like three different exploits in Warcraft to just one shot a boss in the new, in the latest raid in retail. I'm <laughs> just like, <laughs> How does that happen in, uh, can that happen in tabletop? It can. I guess there there are people out there. I, I'm not one of them that finds that fun, but th- there are people that, yes, it can absolutely happen in tabletop. There are uh, mismatches or just the way things work out or certain items. There was a game I was playing in recently where uh, there was an item where technically an NPC was supposed to take it back from our party, but through some ridiculously lucky rolls, the one player got to keep it. And then they were basically a rogue 
who had the ace, the armor class of like a giant knight in heavy armor. So for those who aren't familiar, what that means is <laughs> they were essentially dealing the most damage in the game and also the hardest to hurt in the game. And it was just like... That's, that's pretty unbalanced. Yeah. And our DM was like, all right, well, you technically won, but man, you really aren't supposed to actually have that item and it's kind of breaking everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I haven't played a ton of tabletop stuff myself, but I've done a little bit here and there and I do a lot of Warcraft. So I have a little bit of an idea and it's just fascinating to me to see how you guys have untangled all this stuff and created an original work out of it. Yeah, it's honestly, I, I can't believe looking back how well it went because it's something that could have easily been a total disaster or just been a total quagmire and just completely a mess. I'm almost scared at how well it went and how clean it's looking. And now we're really getting exciting because we partnered with this phenomenal production studio called Apotheosis Studios. Apotheosis? Oh yeah. I forget. We all have these, like we're all kind of connected. We're kind of six degrees. The, the ink share is six degrees of separation. thing. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah. So that they have been unreal with the quality of work they're putting out there. The artwork is gorgeous. The production quality and like the layout, the the design, it's not just going to be a white paper with words on it. It looks gothic and arcane. The pages with this border and script and skulls in the corners and all of that. And we're having the, the Kickstarter rewards we're putting together are phenomenal things like custom red opera themed dice and little mini figurines of some of the main NPCs and even um, a leather bound version of the book for a, a significantly higher level. They have really been killing it on the production quality side. That is one thing about about gaming is that there's always the merch. Well, especially since we are um, going to be going to Kickstarter to fund the initial uh, print run, you got to have something, right? You got to have some extra incentives for people. And I mean, it's a no brainer. If it's, if it's D and D you know, little minis and dice, obvious you have to, or like DM screen, all of the fun things. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's say I am a customer and I want to buy this game and I've got one person who's being the DM and the rest of us are in the party. Are there, is there more than one book? Are there different chapters within the same book? How does it look? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you could theoretically, you, you just need, you can do one book per party. You'd be, you could get away with it. So it's, a lot of people think there's D&D books and that's it. They're all the same. Well, there's there's a big difference between what's called like source books and campaigns. Mm -hmm. and, and source books are essentially, for the most part, just giant encyclopedias of new toys to play with. New Here's a city. There's no narrative, really. There's very rarely a narrative element to them. Uh, there, there can be. And, and a, lot of, a lot of books these days are kind of a mix, but they're primarily one or the other. So ours is primarily a campaign. It is a story. It is an adventure that you will play through and there are plenty of original well the whole book takes place in a wholly original setting that we created and you know there's new items um one of our stretch goals is so it's very warlock based so we're creating new subclasses of warlock that you can play as so 
yeah, how it would look is for, I'd say for most people, the DM will have the book and own the book. And it's basically their guide to this adventure for the players. And there are pieces of it that you get there. Are, there are, there are parts of it that apply to the players that you can show them. It's very, it's much more tactile because it's a, we have this whole thing in the beginning where we want your players to write a letter home there from their perspective of their character, because this place, this takes place at a, a very far flung area that's um, not friendly. And it's for people who are looking for something or have lost something. And it's very kind of um, it's this eerie Northern tundra setting and it's all about your bonds. There's kind of a, a reoccurring theme of the bonds you have with each other and the people you care about or what's important to you. So we, we're trying to really have it be this experience. So I, I have a question for you, uh, Pat. Like how, how much more open is it than like your standard D&D campaign? Uh, what external features have you built in to differentiate uh, your product from, you know, your standard you know, uh, dwarves and uh, and elves and, and you know, mm-hmm. you know I mean, just the standard game. Yeah. So one thing that's interesting about it is, and this is Rick's idea, and we like it so much we want to do make it a thing, is he liked the idea of making a campaign that was very centered around a single class. And you can play it as anything, as any race, any class, but this is a very warlock-heavy campaign and there isn't really an official warlock campaign currently adventure out there Mm. and it centers on i mean the the main setting is this city that is the unofficial capital of warlock culture um for those who aren't familiar the way who think in D &D, you have warlocks you have wizards you have um sorcerers they all sound like the same thing there's some nuance to them the whole deal with warlocks is you get your magic powers by making a deal or a pact with mm-hmm. a, a patron. And a patron could be a, a devil fiend. It could be a celestial angelic type being. It could be an old god, like Cthulhu style. It could be... There are a lot of different types of patrons. You can make your own up. And there's there's like there's so many. And essentially what it is, is you're making these like monkey paws the monkey's paw type deals where you're getting this power, but your patron always is going to want something from you in the end, whether it's your, the Raven queen and she wants you to collect souls for her. Or at the end, you're basically once your life is done, you're going to hell. It's always kind of a, it's always like a, a devil's bargain, a give and take with these patron packs. So warlocks in a lot of traditional D and D culture are untrust are not trustworthy or not considered trustworthy and somewhat of outcasts. So we built this whole city in this kind of remote place that has become their haven. And there's a whole temple to the patrons there. And it's one of those things we've set up all of these pitfalls and traps and scenarios where players will get backed into corners. Even if they didn't start out as a warlock, they might be forced into making a pact for their characters to survive. Okay, so is is the pact something that the players play through, or is it something determined during the character creation process? So, I mean, you can start as a warlock already, and you have a pact. You've already chosen what that's going to be ahead of time, because there's different Mm -hmm. abilities and powers that come with the different packs. Or we have scenarios with established and original patrons where it's basically you're backed into a corner where the only way to get what you want or to survive is to make a deal with one of these otherworldly powerful entities. 
That could backfire really quickly if they don't like each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it, there's always a way out. We have there's a whole. I'm, I'm trying to be very selective because I want to give stuff that's interesting. But but basically, there's one whole chapter arc that has a lot to do with you have to get cooperation from a number of these patrons. And it's kind of in the book. It's like, there's a real easy way to do it. You make a pact with them, become one of their people. And then you, you've got that one ticked off. And if each of your party does it with one, you've got most of them, but then you're in their pocket. And there's always, there are ways to do it around that. Right. So, but these mm-hmm. different patrons will have, be in the scenario where it's, yeah, you can, we can make this really easy. You know, just basically sign over your piece of your soul to me, take a pact. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll cooperate with you. Or there's this other more difficult challenge you can do, but you you don't owe the patron anything at the end of the day after that. Nice. I am thinking of my husband who is quite stubborn and would do anything to not take the pact. <laughs> Such a paladin sounds like. Oh, oh, yeah. You are you are right, sir. You are so right. Oh, if he lawful good characters and clerics will be. Clutching their pearls aghast in this city. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm curious uh, also, uh, Pat, if do you have any scripted dialogue for the DM to read that's based around some of these characters like patrons? I think that'd be a really cool feature. We do, yes. And we tried to be, again, very selective with that, where we didn't want this, just pages and pages of text in the DM to be droning on. But there is a healthy amount of scripted dialogue for the dm there's no filler in that regard it's it's there for a very specific reason that's cool i mean i guess everything we all write should always be there for a reason right not be filler well that's the idea right doesn't always work out that way i mean i'm so guilty anyone who's read my book uh and the few people have read the manuscript for the second no i man i i love i love me some inane banter between characters i could write pages and pages of trivial small talk banter just it it fills in those corners of the story that that are missing, right? That's how I always saw it. Yeah. I <laughs> see, and that's what I'm guilty of creating on you know in a, in the middle of a tabletop game is is I'm the one who's dragging it out with needless things. You know, that's the bard in me. <laughs> is that your go to class usually? That's usually. my class. So <laughs> I'm playing. So I I actually play in a in a Twitch stream game. Uh, every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Geekly Inc. channel. And we're doing Descent into Avernus, which is the most recent big campaign to come out of Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I play a fighter primarily, but I recently multiclassed into Bard. And But I, I tried to find a new original roleplay spin on that. So I don't, my Bardisms don't come in song. They come in the form of like cheesy motivational quotes. <laughs> So like I want to give someone inspiration or heal them. I'll just like, hey, live, laugh, love. Oh god! <laughs> All those things that people have like in their house and their kitchens and stuff like that. I have a whole list of them ready to go. I love taking, doing just a little bit different. All you have to do is go to Bed Bath and Beyond and start writing them down. <laughs> I love it. Oh, uh, it's yeah, D and D's the best, and I highly recommend anyone who's never done it. If you're at all curious do it it's not as hard as you think it might be or as complicated it is a time commitment because minimum you're looking at like two hours for one session a decent session mm-hmm. but it's in my opinion the most fun game there is 
of any video game, board game, anything. It's just so fun. When you have a good group of people who are cl- really clicking together and vibing. That's the key. Yeah, that can be a challenge. What's great these days is you can find people online. There's tons of great communities that are very inclusive and um, you don't need to all be, I mean, traditionally it was something you all people played around a table and those are fun. But these days, especially, especially these <laughs> right now, that's pretty much the only option we have. But I mean, with like video calls and, and, and it's so easy to play, play it online with people over a call. Like we're doing now, like the three of us could just start playing one right now. <laughs> Except it would just take me a year to build my character like it usually does. It's true. Although uh, during the social distancing, um, we still are social distancing a lot. But when we were under the stay at home order, we did a campaign with my husband doing the DM and I've got my bard character and then my two kids each have a character and my seven-year-old has gotten it pretty well. He he's got the banter going. He's got the he's got the dice rolling down. But my uh, <laughs> my four-year-old is what is he a cha- chaotic evil dragonborn <laughs> fighter? He's a fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he would just like he would just be like, "I'm eating some gnolls right now." Uh, hi, this is Ed. This is Carrie's husband. Uh, he he is that one guy in every D and D group that says, "Okay, so hey, what do you what are you doing? Uh, I'm going to go hang out in the woods for a while and, and eat stuff." Every <laughs> single D and D group, pretty Love much. It. And then he goes off into the woods and falls asleep. <laughs> I'm curious have you uh, have you ever played the uh, the Dungeon World? I have not. It's it's a really interesting campaign, and it's uh, it, it, mainly you create so much of the story yourself, and there's a lot of write-in potential, and so it can get kind of twisted if you're if you don't have a good DM. <clears throat> but uh, it's the one that I've had the most experience playing, and I just love the fact that it's so much more open and it allows for a little bit more leniency and creativity while still maintaining some of the balance of of the original game. I love D&D. I love it so much. And it's the one I know. And I am sure. I'm sure there's someone out there who's got a manifesto on why this other game system is far superior and more fun. And I'm sure it is. I'm sure there are the ones that are. But D&D is so ubiquitous. And, there's, and it's it's just so much easier to, to pick it up and play it. And especially if you want to do it professionally, like create content for it, right? Such a much wider audience. But that being said, there are so many great gaming systems out there and versions. And I play, I've, I've played in a really fun Star Wars themed RPG. Ooh. Past. It's a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun. So are you thinking after this one, after the Red Opera, are you going to you going to do an- another one or is this, is this going to be one of your things moving forward? It might be a thing. Rick and I are discussing forming an LLC actually to make more of these, um, possibly one a year. We've really enjoyed it. The process has been phenomenal. Obviously that whole thing can come, you know, depending on <laughs> how this goes with launch and everything we'll see. But if, if launch is uh, at all a success, it's something I think we want to keep doing. And we've already got ideas for the next couple books that we'd want to do. We like the idea of the class based. So 
we've been um, workshopping ideas of what would be the next class we're going to showcase and we're going to build a setting and a world around this particular class. Build me a druid one, man. <laughs> Talked about that one. Um, Rangers is high on our list. And also doing something maybe for kids, like a, a, a scaled down version. Yeah, that's great. I would do that with my kids. I mean, if Ollie can stay on the path. Carrie, I should connect you to, to if you're in, you should talk to Rick. He hosts, uh, he DMs, he does like a weekly game for kids, D&D for kids. Oh, that's cool. I think my son, at least my seven-year-old would really enjoy that. Yeah, I think it really helps with their creativity. And especially Henry, like he likes to make up stories and it gives him something to kind of chew on. It's fun. Yeah, the creativity, uh, teamwork, collaboration, working with other people and kind of learning to have sort of respect for each other and empathy because the whole respect the RP, right? Respect each other because we were saying uh, how he's he's playing like a chaotic character and quote unquote chaotic characters can be a ton of fun. But as long as you're not stepping on everyone else's characters, metaphorical toes, right? Cause that's not fun. If someone like has a very specific, I'm, one of, I'm well, at least for me, it is, I'm one of those players who is all, I, all I want to do is um, help amplify what the other people are wanting to do. Like if you want to have this character and you have this shtick or this bit, you're trying to pull off with them. I want to help you do that. Cause that'll be more fun for you too. You know, and one of the things, you know, just spinning off talking about, you know, the writing angle, what's when you play these kind of games, it really gives you, particularly if you're a fantasy writer or write anywhere close to that genre, gives you uh, some perspective on how you can run systems in your own world and have them feel realistic instead of so over the top that your reader puts the book down and goes, okay, I'm done. You know, it gives you, it gives you the, I guess, the, bumpers you know like a, at the bowling alley to get some stuff done right absolutely yes i have found that very much to be true and but the one thing though is sometimes i'll think of ideas and i'll and i'm like ah, oh, which which is this better for is this better for a novel or for a campaign the answer should be both both no, but like a character or like a story arc or something. It's just, it's, it's hard to, it's which, whichever one I happen to be working on at the moment. Well, I guess get that. <laughs> so when does, when does the Red Opera launch and how can we point our listeners to it? Did you say there was a Kickstarter? If you're hearing this, our pre-launch page is up now as of us recording this. So if you go to theredopera.com, it will take you to, it'll redirect you to a Kickstarter pre-launch page. All that's there right now is a pretty banner with a, a nice image. It is nice. Thank you. Um, I was gearing up a bunch of promo stuff, but then um, more important matters gripped our society that required attention. So my my energies were focused more towards that than the self-serving promotional stuff. Um, but uh, I'll be we'll be tweeting and posting a lot more because I had nothing to do with it. I wrote the thing, but the art is so amazing. It is. I'm looking at the chapter seven theme of the Betrayer right now on my phone, and it is super awesome. Rick and I were blown away, and that's when we first started seeing those images come through. We've got kind of we've got a private Discord channel of the creative team and the production team on it, and I remember when those first started to come through, and we called each other and said holy shit, we might have something here. This might be a big, this might be, 
big because this is the real deal. So you can go on and you can enter your email. And all that's doing is if you go, so if you go to, again, theredapper.com, it'll redirect to the Kickstarter pre-launch page. All you're doing if you put your email in is you're saying, send me an email notification when it goes live, the campaign. That's all I want to know. Nothing else. You're not committing to anything else. The actual campaign, we're doing, we're really giving ourselves a long runway because we want to really hit this out of the park. But is September is when the actual Kickstarter campaign will be happening. Awesome. But in the meantime, we are doing tons of promotional work um, and all in our own little way. Like Rick just did a radio interview. The way I'm doing it is I have, I'm good friends with the people that run the podcast network slash convention slash just all around community called Geekly. I don't know if either of you have heard of it or are familiar. I, I think I've heard of it. They're primarily, or they started as a, a podcast network and um, their number one show is a uh, Dungeons and Dragons real play podcast. I tell people about podcasts like that and that I do the stream and they look at me all weird. Like really people like, well, yeah, it's kind of like a radio play is what it is because you have these people playing characters and a story is being narrated with through the DM. So it's kind of like listening to a, an improvised radio play, but they are phenomenal and they have a Twitch channel and we are going to, and they've agreed. We've already done one session. We're doing another one, but we'll do more. I, I basically have created the Rick and I, we built these, short mini adventures that take place in the world we built is kind of is like showcasing. So it doesn't reveal anything of the actual main story of the campaign itself in the book, but it's kind of showcasing the set pieces and a few of the NPCs make cameos in some of them. So we're, we're streaming those and they're going to be released as podcast episodes. And uh, some of them will probably even make it into the book as like stretch goals and bonus adventures. That's cool. You know, the older I get, the more befuddled I get by things and Twitch and, and stuff. I'm now starting to <laughs> to see it and understand it. But I would think that listening to an adventure like that would be a lot more interesting than some of the stuff I've seen on Twitch. Well, people think of it as one thing, and I guess it's primarily people playing video games, but there's a lot. I've seen I've seen people like in the quarantine do like home workout twitch streams where they're showing you how to do these workouts at home or like this playing D&D or just doing live reading table reads of scripts and uh so there's lots of different creative ways you can use the platform but I'm also with you uh on this I'm not I'm not I'm not hip to every platform and every app out there <laughs> I do not there's no no Snapchat or TikTok on my phone currently yeah I'm I'm basically Twitter Discord and fledgling and Twitch, and that's about it for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I for one am looking forward to it, and want to say thanks for coming on and telling us all about it, Pat. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm at the Pat Edwards on Twitter. Um, I have Instagram, all that, but I'm really not non active on there. Twitter's my jam. I, it's the words, right? The word based one. Is the one that speaks to me. <laughs> um, the one that's pictures. What? What's <laughs> I hear, yeah. <laughs> See, that's mine. <laughs> it just seems, I don't know. I just, I have thoughts or I'll think of something. I just, Twitter, I can just type it out and, and blam, send it out there. Instagram, it'll be like, I, I need to have a picture to accompany this. I don't know. That seems like a lot of work. I'm just not going to bother posting them there. Yeah, I hear that. 
<laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm at the Pad Edwards. I have a pinned tweet that has a link to the pre-launch page, or you can go to the redopera.com. Uh, check that out. Or if you go to my website, thepatedwards.com, I have like a newsletter where I post updates and I have little secret things that only people that subscribe to that get, like secret artwork or short stories. And I do like a creator spotlight every month. But yeah, check it. if you are at all a tabletop RPG fan, check it out. Follow the At least follow the project. And then when the campaign goes live, you can check it out and see if any of the reward tiers strike your fancy. Yeah, that sounds cool. I can't wait to see it. Thanks for listening to the Writing Block Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for your continued support. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or at writingblock.com. No K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.